Episode 41 of Giant Electric Penguin has started. My name is Matt, and I'm the host, and I've got wonderful news. Wonderful? Well, that might be overselling it just a little. I have news. I definitely have news. Last week, I mentioned the latest book from horror author Ben Farthing, a little number called Don't Tell Mom There's Puppets in the Walls. Hang on, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Hang on real quick. What's this called? Okay, what's the title of this thing? Let's see. Oh, oh, okay. I found puppets living in my apartment walls. Ben Farthing's I Found Puppets Living in My Apartment Walls. Well, as promised, I did read the book. I bought it, and I read it, and I can honestly say that I found puppets living in my apartment walls is definitely an accurate title. The apartment walls in this book are filled to the brim with puppets, but we will get to that later. First of all, I wanted to touch on some things I've been meaning to get to for a very long time. I've had these little snippets lying around for months, these idealettes. And I wanted to finally put them out into the world, you know, clear the decks. You know how a stand-up comedian might have a little notebook that he or she writes ideas in? A place for their little brainstorms? Well, well, I do the same thing as a podcast host. And these are just some thoughts I've had that I've typed into my notes app that I, that I don't really know what to do with. And I'm not sure I'll ever do anything with them. So I figured, I, I, I don't know. I'm not burning them here. This isn't like my, my, my plan isn't to just say these and be like, okay, they're done now. And like, you know, abandon them as like orphans out in the cold. I'm just giving them some room to breathe, some room to grow, mature. Giving them maybe a little push out of the nest, see if they, see if they fly. So first, uh, I've been working on this character, actually that I want to do on the show named Andy Dice Barclay. He's, he's basically a combination of the uh, perverted comedian from the, from the 80s, Andrew Dice Clay, and Andy Barclay from the Child's Play movies. And he does like dirty jokes, kind of, but they're all from the perspective of, of Andy Barclay. His name is Andy Dice Barclay, you see. Uh, and specifically Little Andy from the first two movies. So, you know, it would be Andy, he's there in his little overall pajamas, but maybe he's got a leather jacket over it, <laughs> and like a pompadour, because didn't Andrew Dice Clay have some sort of some pompadour of some kind? And uh, he'd go something like, my Aunt Maggie is a real bitch, and got what she deserved when she fell out that window. Oh! You know? <laughs> I guess that's not really a joke, but I mean, did... Andrew Dice Clay tell actual jokes? I don't know. It's been years since I've listened to an Andrew Dice Clay album. I think I've listened to uh, one of his albums once. I was in fifth grade on the bus on the way to school. And my friend 
uh, forced me to listen to it. He, he put headphones on my, over my ears and said, Hey, listen to this. And it was like, you know, it was like, Hickory Dickory Doc, my cock. And, so, and I was in fifth grade, like, what am I hearing? Uh, and it changed my life forever. Andrew Dice Clay fan <laughs> for life. All right, uh, let's see. So, uh, let's speaking of falling out of windows, here's here's another thing that I, I wrote down. You know that song "Murder on My Mind" by uh, YNW Melly. Everybody out there knows that song, right? Well, I wrote down "Defenestration on My Mind." <laughs> Holy hell, that's barely a kernel of an idea. I guess I don't know. I was imagining an unlikely scenario where YNW Melly wrote a song about tossing someone's ass out a window. And I, I don't know why so far all these ideas <laughs> have involved people getting tossed out of or falling out of windows, but I don't know, maybe that's just been on my mind. You know, when I turned 40, I kind of got obsessed with with death in general. And I guess it's, it's kind of, um, as I've progressed uh, beyond 40, I'm kind of like narrowing it down to specific kinds of, of death, different ways to die. And I guess right now, when I was writing these notes, I guess falling out a window was, <laughs> was on my mind. So defenestration on my mind. There might be something funny there. I don't know. All right, here's the last one, and then we'll get back to the show. This is this is ridiculous. Uh, I recently rewatched the Drew Gooden and Danny Gonzalez video where they talk about Hard Rock Nick. Do you know Hard Rock Nick? You ever seen that guy? He's pretty awful. But Danny and Drew made this a very funny video about him. And apparently, Hard Rock Nick himself goes on podcasts and crows about this video because he's he's uh he's proud of it. Because I guess it's Drew Gooden's most watched video or something. Uh but it's it's 20 minutes of two guys making fun of Hard Rock Nick, but Hard Rock Nick absolutely adores it. He says it proves that you know he's a he's a viable internet commodity he's a he's a he's a true internet star because two <laughs> actual funny people made fun of him for a half an hour anyway i watched that and i got inspired to write a hilarious parody song based on some of the dumb stuff that hard rock nick has said online over the years and so i'm going to perform it's not a whole song i've just it's it's the beginnings of a song these are these are idealists. These are baby ideas that I'm swaddling and, you know, rocking and trying to, like, raise them right so they'll become full-on, full-on, I don't know, bits. Who knows? So, anyway, this is uh, to the tune of It's a Hard Knock Life from the Annie film. And uh, I'm going to do it right now. Let me get my hilarious lyrics up. <laughs> All right, and like I said, the, these lyrics, these parody lyrics are based on actual things that Hard Rock Nick has said online. Here we go. Oh, this intro. <laughs> it's a hard rock, Nick, for us. It's a hard rock, Nick, for us. Instead of hand jobs, we get blown. Get our balls tugged one by one. It's a hard rock, Nick. All right, turn it off, turn it off. I can't afford to be sued over this. All right, 
Can't afford to be sued by by Daddy Warbucks. Daddy uh, Daddy Guarbucks is that a thing? <laughs> Daddy Guarbucks. I'm gonna add that to the list. Give me one second. I'm gonna add Daddy Guarbucks. Daddy Guarbucks. We'll circle back to that later. Uh, is it is it hacky to ask why Annie didn't have any pupils? <laughs> Has that been covered by uh, podcasts since the beginning of time? Hang on, while it's on my mind. Oh, that maybe that you know, defenestration on my mind. Defenestration's a hard word to fit into a song. Maybe it should be like Annie's pupils on my mind. That's not the tune to Murder on My Mind, by the way. Uh, why didn't little orphan Annie have eyes? Well, this person said, why did little orphan Annie have no eyes? Well, she did have eyes. All right, so let's see. Why didn't little orphan Annie have pupils? Here we go. This is from the internet. Uh, little orphan Annie did not have pupils because she is a ghoul. All of the characters in the comic strip are ghouls. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Thank you, internet. So, Little Orphan Annie's a ghoul, so is Daddy Guarbucks, that dog, what was it, Sandy? They're all soulless ghouls. All right, well, enough of this. Well, it's been a very long time since I've done a book report. I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. Describe the plot, maybe? Discuss the themes? Talk about how the story made me feel inside? I found puppets... Living in my apartment walls was only 160 pages long. And I'm not sure that's enough pages for me to feel any kind of way. Uh, it took me three individual reading sessions to finish, so not that many. I probably could have read it in one fell swoop. I just had other things to do, all right? I have a life. I don't have countless hours to devote to books about haunted puppets. I've got responsibilities. So what is I Found Puppets? living in my apartment walls about. Well, Johnny and his cousin Brittany are cleaning out their grandfather's New York apartment because the authorities have finally declared Gramps dead after he's been missing for a lengthy period of time. Uh, the apartment building used to be a television studio where they filmed a Sesame Street-style children's program called Our City Street. And Grandpa was one of the puppeteers on the show. So after the show was canceled for mysterious reasons, that I'll be honest right here at the top, I didn't fully understand. <laughs> I think there, there was a guy, there was like an intern on the show who practiced some sort of like weird Nordic pagan religion I don't know, he prayed over some puppets, and you, you can just imagine what happens when you, when you pray to pagan Nordic gods and puppets are nearby. Nothing, nothing good happens, I'll tell you that. Anyway, the creators of the, the, sh of the show, I guess, uh, they had the, this studio, the R-City Street studio, converted into apartments, and they allowed Grandpa to live there rent-free in exchange for his many years of service. They actually let other R-City cast members live in the building, too. Uh, but we meet them uh, later in the book. It's like if they turned, like, the Sesame Street set. Like, the Sesame Street stopped production. And they're like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, you know, Maria and, and Maria can live here now. You know this you know this apartment you lived in? Or, 
or what's who's who works at the Mr. Hooper's store now? Alan is that his name? Alan. You can you can the 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 store the corner store the bodega. I think they call it in New York City. I'm hip. I'm hip. Uh, you can you can live in the store now. So I guess that's what it was. Whatever. Uh, pretty realistic, probably. That's probably <laughs> what happens. But that is a pretty sweet deal, honestly, to live rent free in New York City. I mean, can you imagine that? I'd live in an apartment infested with bloodthirsty puppets in New York City if it was free. Good God, who wouldn't? I'd move my whole family in in there. Surely we can protect ourselves from puppets. They're mostly hollow. I am fairly confident that my family could handle these puppets. All right? My daughter is a third-degree black belt in Taekwondo, for Pete's sake. Honestly... Honestly, the person in my family most likely to be overcome by haunted puppets is me. So I'd be counting on my wife and daughter for protection most of the time. But, uh, you know, it might be worth it. Because can you imagine having a free apartment waiting for you in New York City whenever you wanted it? I, I mean, we wouldn't have even have to live there full time. We, we just know that when, when, when we're there, though, when we're visiting New York... Uh, we might have to beat up a few puppets. <laughs> you know, when we come home, you know, when we come home at night after we if we spend the day, you know, gallivanting around the city, we'd, I, we'd probably barely be in the apartment, which is why I don't think it would be that big of a deal. You don't go to New York and then, and then stay inside. Well, when the book opens, we're, uh, Johnny's in bed. We're in bed with Johnny. Nothing kinky's going on. <laughs> But Johnny's in bed, and the, uh, the one of the one of the R City Streets characters. It's it's in fact it's the character that his grandfather helped operate. It's this character named Swoomy. Swoomy is standing over Johnny, poking him with a big blue finger. Ooh, scary! Eventually, Swoomy peels back a flap in the wall and disappears into the bowels of the building. Into the walls. And the next morning, Johnny and Brittany head inside the walls in search of answers. We want answers. We want the truth. You can't handle the truth. What is the truth? There are puppets in the walls of my apartment. <laughs> my grandpa's apartment. My grandpa's free apartment. What they find within the walls of this apartment complex. Well, it's not a complex. Uh, it's definitely weird. They definitely find some weird stuff. But... Not, it's not particularly scary. Look, you all know by now, if you're a regular listener to Giant Electric Penguin, that I am scared of ventriloquist dummies. I'm also oddly obsessed with them at the same time. I don't even get it, okay? But the puppets in this book are, are Muppets. They're basically Muppets. And I love the Muppets. Even if Elmo or Abby Cadabby or Telly or Grover, or Kermit, or Gonzo, or Skeeter, <laughs> or one of the one of the Doozers, or is it Dozers? I don't know. Or or a Fraggle. Even if they were running at me, top speeds, without the aid of human manipulation, like there was no hand up Skeeter's ass. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be scared. I'd open my arms. And I would I would embrace Kermit and say, you gave me so much joy as a child. 
And I don't care if he continued to squirm in my arms and was trying to bite my neck. I still wouldn't be scared. I'd be like, Kermy. I'd say, oh, Kermy. <laughs> now, now to be, to be fair, there is a scene in this book where the, uh, there's an Elmo proxy named Redo. All right. Which yes, is, is very, very stupid, <laughs> but it's very clear that Redo is supposed to be Elmo. All right. And uh, there's a scene where, where Redo kind of, uh, you know, steps out of the shadows and uh, he eats an old man whole. Like he swallows this old man, like, like you, uh, like you've seen a snake swallow its prey. And if I saw Elmo do that, I admit it, I'd probably shit my pants in fright. <laughs> but unlike Jordan Peterson, I find the Muppets delightful. So the book didn't scare me. Now, if this book was called, I found ventriloquist dummies and vintage porcelain dolls and homemade cabbage patch dolls in my apartment walls. Well, then you got me, all right? Now I'm pissing myself. <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen a homemade cabbage patch doll? They're, uh, they're awful. I had an aunt who made one for me when I was a kid, which is weird because I already had like three real genuine cabbage patch dolls. Uh, and and this one just did not fit in with the other ones. You know, what, what, isn't, that a, isn't that a Sesame Street thing? One of these things is not like the others. It's very clear which of the uh, Cabbage Patch dolls. It's very clear that one, one came from the wrong side of the Cabbage Patch. All right, let's put it that way. Uh, he had the body type of the penguin from Batman Returns. Remember Danny DeVito's penguin? That was a little, like, a little kind of disturbing. Um she should have just given him flippers and a beak and like sewn an umbrella onto one of his hands for God's sake. Anyway, his face was like both, it was like pudgy and sunken in at the same time. Somehow it was pinched. Like his, his face was pinched. All the features were just in one little tiny area of the face. And he had this gross yarn hair, blonde yarn hair. Sort of looked like a, like a rodent who ate who ate a who ate a rat king? Is that like if a rat ate a rat king? And instead of having Xavier Roberts' name tattooed on its butt, it was the number six six six. No, I'm I'm kidding about that. Uh, the the aunt that made the style for me, she's she's a strong a strong religious Christian lady. She would hate that I made that joke, so I I do take it back. Although that does make me think of something that because wasn't there some weird rumor about the Cabbage Patch Kids? There was some sort of satanic panic about Cabbage Patch Kids or something. Hang on. I need to look that up real quick. Hang on, puppets in the walls. We got important. Hey, this might hold our answer. This is from Snopes.com. I, I love Snopes.com. It's one of my favorite websites. Let's see. This is an article that we're fact-checking this thing. It says Cabbage Patch Dolls. Were Cabbage Patch dolls designed to resemble what people will look like after a nuclear attack? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> All right, so that that's not exactly what... <laughs> but let's, let's look at that, because that's interesting. Maybe that was the thing. So here's the claim. And, and you know, if you're, not familiar, if you're not familiar with Snopes, what they do is they take, like, urban legends and, and uh, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, things that people are convinced... Like things your 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 grandma puts on Facebook, like, did you guys hear about these snakes in these ball pits or 
Did you did you read about how people hide under your car at Walmart and then steal your dog and 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 put it into sexual slavery in the Middle East or something? And then you and then you go to Snopes.com and, and you go, is this real? And then Snopes is like, no, your grandma's senile and should be put in a home. All right, here was here was the claim. Cabbage Patch dolls were designed to get people accustomed to the appearance of mutants following a thermonuclear war or were modeled upon mentally defective children. Oh, God. Well, luckily, thankfully, Snopes, the people, the people at Snopes, have determined that this is false. So let's take a look at this real quick. One legend that I have heard a few times, mostly back in the late 80s and early 90s, was that President Reagan had the company that produced Cabbage Patch dolls make them intentionally ugly. Now, that's... That's... Really, really mean. I, I, I never imagined. I never in my head looked at a Cabbage Patch doll and said, "Boy, that's an ugly son of a bitch." I never did. I thought they're kind of cute, really. Now the the homemade ones, not cute. Also, another thing about the homemade ones, <laughs> you know, the regular Cabbage Patch kids had like hard plastic heads. <laughs> this homemade one had just like a soft head, like <laughs> full of cotton. You just, you just squeeze his head. You, I don't know. It's just all around, just a troubling, just a troubling doll. This, uh, so back to this. This legend maintains that government scientists thought that this is what the offspring of survivors of a nuclear war would look at. By familiarizing people with this look, the survival of the human race would be ensured. What, so what does that mean? Like we get used to, oh, well, yeah. So after the nuclear war, if people start having babies, the babies are going to come out looking like Cabbage Patch dolls. And then when they grow up, they're going to still have these weird, I don't know, these weird facial features and hard plastic heads. But because everyone's used to it, um, I guess people will have sex with them. <laughs> when they grow up, when they're 18 and older, that's what I meant. Come on, follow, come on. Follow, follow the thread, people. Don't get lost, all right? Other versions of the story I have heard say that it was the CIA's idea and the government had actually exposed people to high levels of radiation and had them reproduced to get models to help in designing the dolls. Hang on. All right, thought I was going to sneeze, sorry. You know how ridiculous that sounds? That sounds insane. The CIA designed cabbage patch dolls they're baby dolls right they have an interesting look it was a new kind it was a new kind of baby doll and people were interested in them because they had a new look it was a whole new thing here's the origins of of the cabbage patch uh, kid uh, cabbage patch kids took the toy market by storm in 1983 in fact when i was doing research for this episode i watched a few videos of, you know, these old news reports of when, when Cabbage Patch dolls were out there and people were going out to try and find them and it was, in, like, impossible to find them. You had to go to Toys R Us and line up and then you had to, you hopefully you were in the front of the line and lucky enough to get this, like, lottery ticket. And then when it was time to collect your Cabbage Patch doll, you had to, like, secretly <laughs> walk to the back of the store or, like, a you know, behind, you know, behind where the dumpsters were and they, they'd open up the door and like hand you a cabbage patch and you didn't even get to choose which one you wanted. They'd be just like here and you're like, man, I didn't want a preemie, even though the preemies were the cutest. The preemies were the cutest. Uh, but you're like, oh, the preemie's bald. 
even then, even back then in the in the early eighties, people people were rude to bald to bald children, <laughs> bald men and bald children. It's not fair. We can't help it. Anyway, that's how you used to have to get these Cabbage Patch dolls. And the, the one thing kept coming up was like the Great Cabbage Patch Riot of 1983. And uh, it, it, it was less of a riot than just like a rush of white people trying to, you know, buy dolls at Toys R Us. But uh, it reminded me, the only time I've ever done that, I don't know if you remember when the uh, Nintendo, uh, what was the one before the Switch called? The the Wii, the Nintendo Wii, when that came out, I actually I actually lined up outside of a Best Buy, I think. I got there early, I got there like an hour before it opened, and I lined up. And while we were lined up, it was me and my wife, we were lined up to get this Wii. This person <laughs> drove by, <laughs> I'll never forget this, this person drove, it was like that old video of the uh, people in line to buy that uh, Harry Potter book, and then that guy drives by and like rolls his window down he goes snape kills dumbledore and like everybody in line is like oh they're shattered the worlds are shattered it was kind of like that only this person drove by in an suv and they pull up to this line of people outside of best buy and uh they they roll the window down and they've got a nintendo wii and they held it out the window like i just bought this at target just me a fucking assholes <laughs> and they and they sped off and uh, my wife said, hey, wait in line. I'm going to drive over to Target. And so there I was in line with, you know, just awkwardly standing in line with all these other people trying to get this Wii. A bunch of people way too old to care about being in line for a video game system. No offense. I like video games, but I don't love video games. But I love Nintendo. And, uh, you know, I waited in line for about 20 minutes. My wife pulls back up to the curb. She's like, I got it. Hop in the car. So in the end, it turned out, uh, you know, I didn't have to wait in that line, but but I have experienced that before. Although it was for it was for a piece of interesting new technology, like the Nintendo Wii was really cool. It had those Wii motes, and you stood up, and it was sort of like you're playing video games, but you're also exercising. And you can see that you know when Nintendo's next thing that came out, the Switch, which we have a Switch now too, and I, I actually think the Switch is awesome. But uh, and like the the Wii is gathering dust, I think, in my closet. But uh, you know, that it didn't it didn't take. People didn't want to exercise and play video games at the same time. Uh, but these cabbage patch dolls, the same thing. People were lining up, they really wanted these cabbage patch dolls. And I'm looking at a picture of one here, and this it's so cute. Why would anyone think this was a mutant? It's not that's not very nice. Anyway, um that Christmas, the Christmas of 83, uh Cabbage Patch Kids became the must-have gift. That adults scrambled for madly in toy store scuffles. Tales were rampant about parents who were willing to pay anything or go anywhere to obtain these dolls for their youngsters, including that of a Kansas City, Missouri postman who flew to London to buy one for his daughter. Demand quickly outstripped supply, and many who sought these elusive prizes came home empty-handed. The madness seemingly knew no bounds. For example... A Milwaukee radio DJ convinced two dozen people to stand in Milwaukee County Stadium with American Express cards raised to the sky, expecting an airborne delivery of 2,000 Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> One of the videos I found on YouTube was this place that you could go um, sell them your Cabbage Patch Kid. I guess Cabbage Patch Kids were like 25 bucks. 
And then you could go sell your Cabbage Patch Kid to this, this, I don't know, it was like a, I don't know, it was some store that was like buying them for for, uh, 40 bucks. They'd pay you 40 bucks and then they'd turn around and sell it to to other people for 50 bucks. It was weird. (laughs) So there's a whole Cabbage Patch, you know, I don't know, there were were ways to get Cabbage Patch Kids. To fly all the way to London seems a little much. But uh, let's see, what could cause such an uproar? What was there about Cabbage Patch Kids that inspired such determination? That's the question, if you ask me. Like I said, they're not hideous-looking mutants, but there's nothing special about it. I think the fun thing was you got, like, adoption papers or whatever. Like, that was fun. And, like, the adoption papers had a name on it already, so you didn't even really get to name your doll anymore. I guess you could do whatever you want, you know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you adopt a cat or dog, you can name him or her whatever you want. So, um, you know, I guess you could do whatever, but your adoption papers, you know. And, and all their names were so weird. I have to look that up. They're, every one of these Cabbage Patch kids had just the weirdest names. Actually, hang on. I wish I could remember any of my Cabbage Patch Kids names, but I don't. I think the homemade one's name was Chester. (laughs) Sorry. That certainly was more funny... Uh, to me, then I guarantee anyone out there. Okay, here I say. So this is a website called Be a Fun Mum, and isn't that what we all want to be? <laughs> Here's a list in alphabetical order of some of the Cabbage Patch Kids that were adopted in the '80s and '90s. Some of these kids are 30 years old now. If you want yours on the list, also simply leave a comment. Well, they, they might be 30, but they're still little uh, dolls, so you know maybe they are mutants. Uh, let's see. Abby Gwenda is the first, the first name on there. Gwenda's not a real name, is it? Um, let's see. I mean, they, I, they Aloha Erica. All right. You know, they had to. They had so many of these. They had to name, and, and you know, I, I guess where none of them, none of them had the same names. Xavier Roberts was like, all the Cabbage Patch Kids must have original names. I don't care if you call. You have to call one Aloha. <laughs> uh, Archibald Claude. Sounds like a good. It's pretty. It sounds like a real. Think of a real like. I, I feel like that, that. That makes me think of like a, a Montgomery Burns type character. Archibald Claude. He's all hunched over in his in his office counting his money. Astro Tracy. That's a pretty great name. Astro Tracy. It's like that's like. Um, Science fiction Dick Tracy. Oh, that's a great idea. I should write that down as an idea. <laughs> Dick Tracy takes to the stars. He's he's up there. Uh, D- uh, Astro Tracy has taken the 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 police brutality you love in the Dick Tracy comments. He's taking it to outer space. He's like stepping on aliens' necks and and uh, I don't know what else he's doing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, then just I mean Boris Lancelot. <laughs> 
I'm Boris Lancelot. They all sound like, yeah, they all sound like a bunch of rich kids. We all know they were, they were born in a cabbage patch. Uh, let's see. There's so many. I don't, I don't want to read, read these. I'm just trying to look if there's like another weird one. I wish, I wish I could remember mine's names. Um, uh, Dougley Clive. Well, good afternoon, Master Clive. <laughs> Esmeralda Doberama. <laughs> it's Doberama at the... PetSmart. That sounds like we're having a we're having a, a, a adoption fest for Dobermans. I don't know Doberama, whatever. Um, one more, one more. Griselda Linda Gwenda. There's Gwenda again. Obsessed with this Gwenda. Gwenda Vanessa. So many Gwendas. Were there any Matthews? Hang on. Oh, here we go. Oh, there's Maddie Brenda. That's weird. Of course, there's not just someone named Matthew something. They can't. They can't ever have normal names. Ron Rodney. Well, he was going to be a football player. I'll tell you that right now. Um, Sandra Papsy. <laughs> Shelly Barrel. Uh, Una Tatum. All right. <laughs> this is stupid. Anyways, Cabbage Patch Dolls had goofy names. You've, ne you've never met someone in real life with a Cabbage Patch Kid's name or combination of names. Well, there was something, uh, this is, the, so this is, why were people going nuts for these dolls? I think it's because their kids were like, I want one. And, you know, parents want to please their kids. I know as a parent, you know, as much as you, as much as your kid gets on your nerves, you still love them and you want to get them what they want. So there was something universally appealing about the dolls themselves. They were lovable in a manner other dolls could only forlornly aspire to in their plastic mass produced way. They were soft. They were huggable. You could really smash a kid over the head with its, you know, with its, with your your doll's hard plastic head, especially those preemies. There's there's no hair in the way. It's just full on hard plastic bald head. They were unique. No two were alike. That's true. They all had different names. Best of all, no one could merely purchase them. They had to be adopted, instantly turning their proud pint-sized possessors into parents. Each Cabbage Patch doll came with a certificate of adoption from Babyland General Hospital. Well, that's where they came from. They came from Babyland. That is an irritating place to go. I, the, the, there might, I, I would be surprised if there's a Babyland tourism board because I'm not sure. I mean, babies are great. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with babies. Personally, the only baby I've ever liked is my my own kid when she was a baby. But I'm very glad she's not a baby anymore. And I don't, and now that uh, that she is grown up, and most of my friends have their babies now, and they're and they're actually not babies anymore. That's great. I hope to never be around babies ever again. And, and so, and, unless I live long enough to, you know, have grandkids. Anyway. Uh, Babyland General Hospital was a place one was told where doctors and nurses those those are in uh, in uh, parentheses no I'm sorry in uh, those are in quotation marks 
Who knows what these people's credentials were? Uh, but these so-called doctors and so-called nurses watched over the big-eyed, chubby-cheeked tykes until they were old enough to be placed with loving families, until they were old enough to be shoved in an airtight box <laughs> and left to languish on the shelves of KB Toys. Each certificate stated the doll's name and birth date and had to be filled out and returned to Babyland General by the new parent to complete the adoption process. I heard if you didn't do that, they would come, they would send... Uh, they would send Cabbage Patch, uh, they would send CPS, Cabbage Patch Services, CPCS, Cabbage Patch Child Services. There we go. There we, we, we got to it. They would send them to your house and uh, rip, rip your, they'd rip little Aloha Ito out of your arms <laughs> and return, return their ass to Babyland General Hospital, Babyland Baby Orphanage. Uh, the kids were not created as part of an evil government plot to accustom folks to what we'd look like after nuclear holocaust. I forgot that's what we were even reading. <laughs> Nor to foster acceptance of the mentally disadvantaged by conditioning us to a specific look. They were the creation of Xavier Roberts, an artist who traveled from his Georgia mountain home to regional craft fair selling hand-stitched dolls. He vended the first of these dolls in 1978, but they came to national pro prominence only after he entered into a distribution agreement with toy maker Coleco in 1983. Computer-based manufacturing ensured that each doll continued to be just a little bit different from all the others. I don't know. Facially, they all look the same to me. And weren't there, um, weren't there eye stickers? Let me get a good, clear shot at one of these things. That's the weird thing. Like, a lot of dolls have these, like, realistic kind of looking eyes but I feel like Cabbage Patch Kids had like sticker eyes <laughs> eyes are the stickers into the soul <laughs> Cabbage Patch Kids eyes yeah let's look at this let's look at this little cutie yeah that's the that's the weird part of these Cabbage Patch dolls man these, uh, let me get a close-up of this the thing. Yeah, it's like they're like stickers. They put the they get sticker eyes. That's uh, it's gross. I don't like that. Anyway, that's the Cabbage Patch Kids. Why were we reading about that? Let's get back to the book. We're talking about the Puppets in the Walls book. Uh, the author explains in his afterword, titled appropriately, Why I Wrote This Book, uh, he explains that the Muppets terrify him. And he's probably not the only one. So I'm sure writing this book was very cathartic for him. For me, though, unfortunately, it was kind of boring. It was like a creepypasta that I would have stopped reading halfway in if I hadn't paid $3 for it. I'm sorry. I, I hate saying anything critical about stuff like this. I mean, uh, Ben Farthing wrote a book, all right? He wrote an entire book. In fact, he's written a couple. I've stopped and started writing too many books to count at this point. I'm the very definition of a failed writer. Actually, I, I can't even consider myself a failed writer because I've, I've never been anywhere close to finishing anything, let alone having anything published. But I'm not going to lie. I didn't really like this book. And I didn't understand a lot of it either. All right, I think there's a twist 
I think I was supposed to gasp at something that happened toward the end, but it landed like a big wet fart. Or a little fart, like the star of another book I talked about in episode 40. <laughs> in fact, I, I thought Farthings Afterward, why I wrote this book, was the most enjoyable part of I Found Puppets Living in My Apartment Walls. It was a it was kind of a fascinating journey through his writing process. And I'd rather read more about that, if I'm being honest, which I always am. Well, the end of the book, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to give any spoilers. I can't recommend this book, but I'm not going to give any spoilers. If you want to read it, like I said, I bought it for $3 for the Kindle. It took me, I could have read it in a day. It's, it's certainly not, it's certainly not a difficult read, but it's also, it's, it's, it's just repetitive. And it wasn't scary, unfortunately, but the end of this book does set up what could be a pretty interesting sequel and I think Farthing is working on one, but it's it's never going to change the fact that I do not find the Muppets scary. Hey. Well, that's going to do it for episode 41 of the podcast. Ben Farthing talks about having a nightmare about Cookie Monster being one of the catalysts for writing I Found Puppets. Which reminds me of a nightmare I had when I was a kid, and I want to run it past you guys real quick. I want to find out if, if the audience, if you guys out in the audience think it would make a good creepypasta-ish horror novel. Like, maybe I should follow in Ben Farthing's footsteps. Let me tell you about the, let me give you a little background. So one morning, this is when I was a kid, uh, my dad took me and my sister to McDonald's for breakfast. Back in those days, I used to always get the, the big breakfast, which is something they still have, in fact. But it's, a, it's one of the worst things in the world that you can put in your body. It's pure poison. There's so many calories. There's so much sugar. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like two, is it two or three hotcakes? I don't know. It's a couple of hotcakes. It's a collection of hotcakes, sausage, scrambled eggs, a hash brown, and a biscuit. And uh, it's just, it's just a heart attack. On a, on a platter, and it's absolutely amazing. But it used to come, it comes down like this couple different kind of plastic containers. But it used to come in this styrofoam container because it had this long styrofoam container where it, it could fit all that deliciousness under one little little uh, styrofoam platter and then like a styrofoam, a styrofoam, styrofoam cloche. You remove that cloche and you know, everything was all sweaty with condensation, but it was all still really good. And you just eat, pour syrup all over all of it, including the eggs, and just eat it. Uh, but, I, uh, you know, I remember finishing that big breakfast. And back then when I ate it, you know, I didn't have to take a five-hour nap after I finished it. I was ready to ready to move on to the next thing on the agenda. But but anyway, I finished it up and I, and I started using this, this styrofoam container as like, um, well, like kind of like a puppet opening and closing it like it was alive like some sort of like styrofoam shark or styrofoam crocodile and I was probably harassing my sister with it or whatever my dad probably told me to throw away the trash whatever well that night I had this dream that I was sitting on a couch in 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 a house somewhere and I was I was just watching tv and then in the middle of the room there was a big like pile of laundry just sitting in like a, just a mountain of laundry 
And I was just sitting there, you know, having my, having fun, watching TV, doing my little kid bullshit. And then without warning from, from a side door or somewhere, this styrofoam big breakfast container slithers, you know, slithers into the room. And, and it's opening and closing, just like I was doing when I was doing a little puppet show in the backseat of the, uh, the, the van. But it's doing it by itself. It's like possessed. And it, and it comes into the room sort of like a, you know, sort of like a Pac-Man like an environmentally unfriendly Pac-Man with an appetite for dress socks. And he just, he just, he just wah, 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 into the room and he starts eating the laundry. This thing starts eating the pile of laundry. And I woke up, it's probably hyperventilating. I was probably screaming for my dad, dad, come in here. I was always screaming for my dad when I was a little kid. I had all these horrible nightmares. Like a, a lot of the times I was convinced that my stuffed animals were alive. And I'd call my I'd call my dad in there, be like, "Dad, put all can you put all my stuffed animals in the closet?" And he would do it because my dad is awesome. And then like maybe like an hour later, I'd be like, "Dad, I'm not, can you can you put my stuffed animals back on the shelves? I'm not scared of anyone." <laughs> and rather than tell me to go to hell or, or or shut the fuck up and go back to sleep, my dad is the one, probably the nicest person on the planet would uh, dutifully put all the animals back on their places on the shelf. I was probably a little dick going like, no, 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 the beaver, beaver doesn't go there. No, no, he goes next to the, to the seal. Anyway, uh, so anyway, that's, so that's, that's my book idea. I, I, it's called, I found McDonald's trash in the walls of my house and it was eating my laundry. I think there's something there, but, but I, but I, I don't know. Okay. This was Giant Electric Penguin. My name is Matt. And as always, I'm tired of these monkey-fighting puppets in my Monday to Friday walls. Snape kills Dumbledore! Snape kills Dumbledore! Hey! Snape kills Dumbledore!